Is it possible to love your neighbor as yourself and obey the law and defend the faith and protect age-old precepts? Welcome to episode 38 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. Well, if we haven't yet touched on a subject that you consider to be itchy, (laughs) we may just be there today. Our discussion of reconciliation continues. And the itchy part, you ask? Well, it might just be what is required before reconciliation can take place. Let's jump into that discussion. Here's George. I've personally been involved in many reconciliations and attempted reconciliations between individuals and other individuals or with their families, churches, even their own histories and identities. The work of reconciliation stinks. It's enormously difficult. It's often nearly impossible. The primary cause of failure is self-righteousness. One side, usually both, thinks reconciliation consists of the other side confessing and admitting he or she was wrong. This is not reconciliation. It's triumph. Even when I act all friendly and cooperative, saying that I truly want to reconcile with you to be restored, my true but unspoken agenda is for you to admit that I was right all along. I want to be vindicated, and I want you defeated. If you'll surrender, then we can be reconciled. Generally, people who are against each other have a long list of grievances, of wrongs done to them, accusations of revisionism, recalling history in a distorted, self-serving way, little willingness to reconsider their own actions and opinions, and even less willingness to actually love the other, especially in the sense that Jesus called us to. Oh, I might claim to love you, even make a show of reconciling, But afterward, I want nothing to do with you again. I may forgive you for your sins, real or perceived, but I won't confess or ask forgiveness for my own. These flawed notions of reconciliation are even more pronounced when it comes to our favorite religious concepts and our denominations and allies, even when all involved call themselves Christians. It becomes all about our side winning. And though we seldom admit it, it is equally important to us that your side loses. Our hearts are not right. Reconciliation is never about winning and losing. It is about loving God and a neighbor. This love is an act of blessing not a warm feeling. It is faith lived out by showing love, care, protection, not by believing the right things. Believing the right things is worthless when we are loveless. Faith is empty when it is without love. Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, says in chapter 2 of his book. Yes, indeed, It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin 
you are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What good is it, James continues, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, some may argue, James continues, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. This passage from James bears reading again and again. It is relentless in separating declarations of faith and even right doctrine from what really matters, love manifested by action. This love, agape in Greek, really means to bless or protect someone by action rather than warm feelings or positive declarations that do nothing. Acting to serve and bless another is the core of such love. 
It, it may produce deep feelings of affection in its wake, but it is the willing action to show mercy that is its true character. More, this willing action is not just to help those that we like. It means everyone, including pagans, atheists, heretics, legalists, denominationalists, polemic authors, the self-righteous, those who refuse to reconcile, dangerous enemies, and cranky neighbors. No exceptions. Jesus put it this way. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, if we take these words of Jesus seriously, surely they must bring us to our knees in repentance. Each of us individually is such a rank failure at loving in this way that we shun even looking seriously at our own sin here. It is much easier to justify my self-righteous scorn for those with whom I disagree than it is to consider my own sinfulness in the way I have treated them, spoken of them, and thought about them. Oh, I can call them enemies of the cross or the scarlet whore or any of a thousand other epithets and justify my violence, verbal or physical, as a defense of Jesus and the gospel. But I can only do this by ignoring the actual requirements of Jesus and the gospel. So, step one in reconciliation is to repent for our own lovelessness and stop it. We have to actually admit that our attitudes, judgments, words, and actions against others are partisan, unloving, and scornful. In the worst of times, they are even violent. They are sin, plain and simple. We need to stop. More, such sin toward others cannot be excused by accusing them of the same sin or by pointing out how wrong or hurtful their actions and religious concepts might be. Even if we are absolutely right in our doctrine, our scorn in its defense is divisive. It is heresy because of its lovelessness. Thank you, George. So, the first step in reconciling with others is repenting of our lack of love. Well, as promised, we're working right in the strike zone today, and we'll continue with this important discussion in just a few moments. Please stay with us. 